Hey there, welcome back. Let's see what's going on with Midas Touch. Midas Touch. Eight plus cooperating witnesses. Trump investigation in Georgia gets major update in court filing 29 minutes ago. Popak Legal AF, because breaking news doesn't take a vacation, I'm not going to either. <laughs> Let's talk about Fawny Willis and the new developments down in Fulton County in her likely indictment and prosecution of Donald Trump, that decision to be made somewhere between July and September, so says her office. In the meantime, she's continuing to develop her case to bring into a regular grand jury over the summer. Now she's got eight cooperating witnesses, eight cooperating former targets and or witnesses who were fake electors. Recall that in December 14th of 2020, a group of 16 fake electors met after Georgia had already certified and recounted and hand counted three times the election in favor of Joe Biden. Despite that, in order to, in their words, buy Donald Trump some time, time to, to, uh, to uh, do mischief, to wreak havoc, to uh, cling to power, I guess, they signed together a certificate that they claimed was legitimate, but was a fake elector certificate because they were not electors. The electors were committed and had to vote for Joe Biden, who had won the state to, in order to um, exercise the will of the people, in order to fulfill the will of the people. And therefore, <laughs> these fake certificates, though, were without the appropriate, seal, without the appropriate uh, red, uh, red wax seal and ribbon and certificate and governor's signature sent to the National Archive as if they were a certificate sent in to the Senate where uh, John Eastman for Donald Trump believed that awaiting Mike Pence would participate in the conspiracy, participate in the overthrow of the government and recognize these fake certificates. That group of people, many of whom occupy or occupied major positions of leadership within the Georgia Republican Party, the Georgia GOP, including the very head currently of the Georgia GOP, David Schaefer. Of course, all these electors uh, became very interesting to Fawny Willis in her prosecution. And so they ran out and got lawyers. In fact, at one point, they had one set of lawyers. They had Kim DeBrow and they had Holly, Holly Pearson. Eventually, because the judge got involved with possible conflicts because of a misalignment of interest between all of these various uh, joint parties, Holly Pearson went off to represent David Schaefer. Kim DeBrow kept 10 of the electors. Some of the others retained their own counsel from the beginning. And there began the dance and the negotiations with Phony Willis's Fulton County DA's office to try to see if any of them rather than testify before the grand jury, would take an immunity deal. We revealed on a prior hot take and on a, a legal and political podcast that I co-founded and co-anchor on Wednesdays and Saturdays right here on the Midas Touch Network called Legal AF. We just reported about three weeks ago that at least two, two of Kim DeBrow's fake elector clients were likely participating with the Fulton County DA. Now, based on a filing that happened on Cinco de Mayo on 5-5 by Kim DeBrow to oppose a motion to disqualify that was brought by Fawny Willis, she claims now that eight of the 10 of her clients, eight out of 10, took the deal. She says that in April, uh, late April, Fawny Willis's office 
presented a formal written uh, immunity deal to her clients. Eight of the 10 took the deal and two of the 10 went All off and right. got their, uh, a new lawyer. Therefore, she argued, there's nothing to disqualify. I did my job and any ethical uh, charges against me are false and meritless. This is her argument, Kim DeBrow's argument. Huh. But what we take away from this is there's now eight cooperating fake, fake electors huh. who in return for full testimony, truthful testimony against all those that in the conspiracy, right, put them in the middle of the fake elector part of the scheme, right? We had multiple, we know there's multiple prongs of the, of the scheme from the Gen 6 committee and its investigative work. One prong was phone calls by Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, and others like Lindsey Graham into high-level officials from the Secretary of State to members of the state legislat uh, legislature to um, you know election officials on the ground, including, as I said, Donald Trump himself. That's one aspect, one thrust of the conspiracy. Another thrust was all these crazy hearings, phony hearings, that Rudy Giuliani was holding around the state. Um, another thrust was Donald Trump calling the Speaker of the House of Georgia, who's now who's now died, who's now passed, trying to convince him to convene a special grand jury to overthrow the will of the people. And then you have the fake electors. The fake electors, this special breed of idiot, of insurrectionist, clinging to power, trying to help their cult leader, Donald Trump, remain in power. They met as a group on December the 14th of 2020 and, and executed a document which they claim to be a valid uh, certificate of electoral vote, a certificate of election. We call it the fake elector scandal, but they didn't label it as a fake elector certificate. They labeled it as legitimate, and that was the problem. When the National Archive got it, they were like, mm, what's this? We already have a Joe Biden set of properly you know properly executed properly conformed certificates of electors for the state of georgia what is this other thing what is this you know this this phony thing and of course um mike pence his own only moment of bravery or courage where he was just scared you know what uh decided not to recognize those fake electors those people those fake electors committed a crime under Georgia law in interfering with the election. And so that's why there was an immunity deal. The big kerfuffle that came out just three weeks ago is that apparently Fawny Willis's position is an immunity deal was on the table in December of 2022, this past December. And they couldn't understand why none of Kim DeBrow's 10 clients, none of them took the deal. And some of them, when interviewed three weeks ago with Kim DeBrow, said they didn't even know about the immunity deal on the table, which led to Fawny Willis filing the motion for disqualification. They're fighting now over how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. You know, did Kim DeBrow properly inform her clients about the immunity deal? Was there an actual written immunity deal for her to even discuss? Did the Fulton County office play a little fast and loose with who they were willing to immunize and who they weren't? And did that really make it a tangible, concrete offer of immunity for which a defense lawyer needed to inform her client? These things will all get sorted out in front of Judge McBurney, 
former Chief Judge McBurney, but now Trial Judge McBurney in Fulton County, who's overseeing all things Fawny Willis and the grand jury and the grand jury process. But this is the hot take. This is the takeaway. Eight more cooperating witnesses with immunity who will testify not only about what each other did, right, the gang that couldn't shoot straight or the circular firing squad that they created, where they're pointing fingers at each other, and that's already happened because that's been the report since Fawny Willis met with at least two of them with her investigative team. The real issue is where will they point the finger up, up the chain? Who in the Trump campaign was responsible? Who in the West Wing was responsible? Who in the inner circle of Donald Trump was responsible? How, how deep into the cabinet? How deep into the chief of staff? How deep into Mark Meadows did this conspiracy go? Or Rudy Giuliani? Or Steve Bannon? Or Michael Flynn? Or John Eastman? Or Sidney Powell? And then ultimately, as you climb that ladder, do any of the fake electors who are senior GOP, senior Republican officials in Georgia, can any of them point the finger and connect the dots and link the chain to Donald J. Trump? That's for Phony Willis to develop with her investigative team. When she's ready in July or September, she said she will make her charging decision by either the July regular grand jury. They meet every two months. One is meeting right now in May. She's not there. But she, there will be another one in July, if not July, September. She has told courtroom security personnel that she's going to make the decision in July or September. So get ready and start planning for any kind of Jan 6-like attack on the Georgia State House, the DA's office in Georgia, or the courthouse, which all sit directly across from each other in Atlanta. So she's told them that. And that's what we're waiting for. And what we're watching in the meantime, although people are getting frustrated that things aren't moving fast enough, but what you are watching in real time is a dedicated, focused prosecutor, Phony Willis, Jack Smith, Alvin Bragg, Letitia James wearing her hat as New York Attorney General, building their case. And you, and you get to watch it with us through hot takes like this one that I bring almost every day. And if I'm not doing it every day or every few hours, one of my co-anchors on Legal AF, Ben Mysalis, founder of the Midas Touch Network, co-founder of the Legal AF show with me, co-anchor of all things Midas, and Karen Friedman Agnifilo, top prosecutor. We're bringing this to you on a daily basis from, from uh, midnight all the way till 11.59 the next day. Every hour with a new hot take that's up giving you real-time information. And then on Wednesdays and Saturdays, we curate all of this information and give you the best four or five stories that you need to know at the intersection of law and politics, that politically charged arena. Um, because, you know, that's what we're bringing to you. And you can follow me if you like what I'm doing here and you like this content to come to you uninterrupted. One way to do it is give me a thumbs up, literally thumbs up on the YouTube video. You can also start commenting. Um, I read the comments. It helps improve the content. I might even talk back to you in the, in the comment. I've been known to do that. And then you can follow me on all things social media at MS Popak. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF reporting. Lock him up. Indictment season is upon us. Celebrate with the new indictment season t-shirt and v-neck exclusively at store.midastouch.com.
Special Counsel Jack Smith compelled Donald Trump's co-conspirator Tom Fitton to testify before the federal criminal grand jury in Washington this week uh, investigating Donald Trump's crimes. Fitton, who is a wannabe lawyer who runs a group called Judicial Watch, consulted with Donald Trump on the plan to declare victory even before the election took place, uh, knowing that Donald Trump was going to lose. And Fitton also consulted with Donald Trump about stealing the thousands of government records, including the top secret sensitive compartmented records. You know, when Donald Trump says socks case, socks case, and has no clue what he's talking about, that's all coming from Fitton. So we'll break down the important implications of Fitton's testimony before the criminal grand jury in Washington, D.C. And an emergency hearing was held in Manhattan State Court before Judge Arthur and Goron in New York in the New York Attorney General's fraud lawsuit against Donald Trump and his adult children, where New York Attorney General Letitia James is seeking at least 200 and $50 million in damages and also an injunction that would basically shut down the Trump organization from doing business in the state of New York. The emergency hearing focused on the fact that Donald Trump and his adult children filed these frivolous documents and is specifically called a verified answer. It was a frivolous verified answer to the complaint that they filed, which was an obvious delay tactic. But Judge Arthur and Goron said, if you think you are delaying this trial, uh-uh, not going to happen. And Donald Trump's lawyer sheepishly said, well, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're going to go back and we're going to fix these documents. And you know who was not present at that emergency hearing? Who? Ben? Alina Haba is the answer. Alina Haba was not at the hearing. So I, I used to be in the Guys and Dolls play in middle school, and it was, you know who's coming to town? Uh, <laughs> Sky Masterson, Sky Masterson in town. That was my one line as Angie the Ox uh, when I was in the broad, when I was in my middle school play. But I digress here. So who was not present at the hearing? It was Alina Haba, who seems to have been sidelined or removed from the Trump legal team as she tries to cling on to the fame that she do she so desperately craves. And in the E. Jean Carroll federal lawsuit, Carroll's lawyer Roberta Kaplan filed a letter brief with the court stating that Haba had told her that she was withdrawing from the case. But then Haba filed the document saying, no, 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 I didn't say that. But I don't believe anything Haba says at all. But regardless, Trump has brought in a new lawyer into the E. Jean Carroll civil rape case and defamation case as that heads to trial in April. The new lawyer is Joe Takapina, who has taken many adverse positions against Trump before, both in sentencing for January 6th insurrectionist, Popox, then a hot hit on that, um, as well as taking positions against Trump in this specific case regarding whether or not Donald Trump would have had immunity uh, for his conduct while he was in office. You're going to love Popak's breakdown there. Popak, you like how I call it a hot breakdown, a hot hit? That's like, you know, I'm, uh, that's... Register thinking, trademark. 
<laughs> and the Manhattan District Attorney has impaneled a criminal grand jury to present evidence about Donald Trump's criminal tax fraud and specifically zeroing in on the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels after Donald Trump had sex with her, leading to the 2016 election to try to cover it up and how Donald Trump misclassified those payments as legal fees. Indictments are likely to be coming soon in Manhattan against Donald Trump. We will uh, break that down. Uh, and speaking of indictments that will be dropping soon, we are on indictment watch here on Legal AF and at the Midas Touch Network for George Santos as well, the MAGA Republican George Santos, if that's even his name, who's now saying that he was a producer of Spider-Man. I mean, it's just some of the strangest stuff, but also the most criminal stuff. The FBI has opened up even more investigations, and the most recent investigations focus on Santos setting up GoFundMe accounts so he could steal money from disabled homeless veterans who Santos falsely represented he was raising money to help save the lives of their pets. You don't get much lower than that, but you don't get much more information than you get here on Legal AF. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Mike. Okay, let's oh, check out oh, something oh, newer. <clears throat> That's three months old. Let's see here. Cohen updates us on his cases as Trump hides in Scotland. Absolutely nuts. And the fact, the fact of the matter is, if it wasn't for the Biden administration accounting, fooling around and moving money internally, that was that was there, maybe earmarked for something else. May 4th today would have been the day that we would have gone into default. Instead now, um, which we call uh, Yellen, believes that it'll be by no later than June 1st. I don't like that no later. I don't like it at all. You know, you look at a recent poll of what the MAGA Republican base, what their big issues are, what they care about. 85% say like their biggest uh, issue is challenging woke ideas, 66% opposing any gun restrictions, 61% say Trump won in 2020, 57% of likely GOP primaries, one of their top answers and their biggest issues, they prefer a candidate who simply makes the liberals angry. You know, this isn't this isn't a, this isn't serious. Like it's not a serious party that's putting forward ideas. Like ninety-seven percent of all debt that was accumulated in our Fucking country's crazy. history predates Joe Biden. Twenty-five percent. What's amazing, Ben, is the Republicans. You. you know, the Republicans are so quick to forget that Democrats raised the debt ceiling three times during the Trump administration. Three times. And there are things that are going on right now. For example, this war in Ukraine, COVID, we're still paying for that, even though my understanding is that there's still approximately a trillion dollars, one trillion dollars that's missing from the COVID relief package. I mean, really? Are you trying wow. to tell me that the Trump administration didn't set up some sort of a methodology in order to disperse money so that they know that the people who are receiving that money 
are actually entitled to it, or they just turn around. Anybody that went on the computer, type in a couple of letters, put in the name of your company, boom. Oh, there's another 50 grand for me. Fuck it. I mean, you know, $1 trillion unaccounted for. And that was the way they handled the PPP program. Look, some version of a PPP program was definitely needed at the time. The issue is it needs to be done competently. You can't just have a system where anybody anybody just gets, you know, millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars, especially if you have a, you know, a bank relationship, you are guaranteed to have it, you know, to get that money before other people. And then 25% of all of the debt was created by Donald Trump and through the MAGA Republican policies. Yet the Democrats raised the debt ceiling because the full faith and credit of the United States of America is a sacred thing. You know, one, it's a constitutional responsibility to make sure that America doesn't default its debt under the 14th Amendment. Um, but setting that aside, like, they're just okay with destroying the country and then just saying, you know what, we own the libs, it's Biden's fault. Look, Biden did it. And I don't know if you saw this, Cohen, you saw the new one where they say that there's a super secret whistleblower who put out this super secret letter and no one knows what it says. But then the Republicans all go on TV and make up a lie that Joe Biden accepted foreign bribes when he was the vice president. And then they just spew it like it's the truth. And then yeah, the newscasters hey, are like, find a nice picture. Hey, Sophie, if you can find a picture of secret squirrel, because that's who your super secret leaker is. All right. With who wrote this note, uh, just so our brigaders can know who I'm talking about. They're so stupid. They're so fucking stupid. They're so dangerous to our American way of life, to democracy. They are a small group. And I don't, I want to be clear about this, too. It is not the vast majority of Republicans. So too many of them are still voting party line. So that is stupid. But at the end of the day, you're not talking. Everyone's not a Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, a Matt Gates, a Josh Hawley. You know, they're not. There are some very decent Republicans that are there, why they are not standing up and holding, there you go, there's Secret Squirrel, that's the guy who is responsible. <laughs> Donald, find him, and when you find him, I think he's at Central Park somewhere, you know, uh, playing by a tree with a nut, but at the end of the, I'm telling you, that's who Donald has to go find, and then everything will be set in stone for him, and he'll be all good. But there are some very decent Republicans that are there, in you know, the problem is they're afraid. They're afraid to step out of line with, you know, with party in order to do the right thing. I mean, there are things that Marjorie Taylor Greene saying right now that are so they're so fucking gross. They're so disgusting. And they're so they're so inappropriate for a member of Congress to say that. When I when I watch her say these things and then there's no rebuke of her and that there's no consequences, it goes right back to the magic word of the day. It goes back to accountability. There is no accountability for their stupid and their reckless behavior and antics. And that's what we need to help to put a stop with. You know, there has to be accountability to all of these folks. You cannot do and say the things that they're that they're saying. Uh, you know, whether it's about Ukraine, whether now it's about Zelensky, you know, whether it's uh, you cannot just 
as a member of Congress, shoot from the you know, shoot from the hip and you know just yeah you can throw out whatever it is that you want to say because that's what you believe or that is what your base wants you to say. It just it's it's unacceptable Bring and back. it's improper. How about this report from Media Matters, which says in the first year of Trump using Truth Social, Trump amplified QAnon promoting accounts nearly 500 times. And this article goes on to show post after post by Donald Trump amplifying QAnon, which is a death cult which believes, and it's one of its central tenets, is that Donald Trump, by force, is going to seize control of the government, overthrow the Biden administration, uh, have public execution, that's what the storm is coming means, and lead the country as a emperor king. That is what QAnon believes is uh, ultimately is is taking place and so 500 times like could you imagine if biden posted one q on me i would stop supporting him for all of the great things i yeah, think biden has that. done he does one q anon meme and it's not like he's hacked i'd be like i'm out why because you have to have some minimal threshold standard and trump just pro- is posting QAnon cult, not once, but 500 times. Yeah, that's and then those, those are basically the 500 people that subscribe to that shit platform. So, you know, look, all, he'll, he'll repost anyone or anything that is positive or he deems positive. Do you know any times that this dope got fooled by people um, early on where two of the people that uh, did a tweet that they found that Donald found favorable. They were both mass murderers, and oh. it was it, he was so angry about it. You know, <laughs> Look, I don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. I really don't understand it. It's not going to work. Um, who knows why these Republicans are still behind him? Why they why they're still actively financing this illegitimate? 2024 run, you know, what's going to happen if, in fact, he is found guilty of any of these crimes that he's right now being uh, confronted with? Let let me just pull apart for one second the E. Jean Carroll case. Let me just use this as an example. So the E. Jean Carroll case is not criminal. I want our brigaders to know this. This is a civil harassment um, case which is monetary. He will never accept responsibility, um, regardless of what the jury will come back with. This will be a monetary settlement. And he will ultimately get that money from you know, the same maggots that are supporting him post the indictment. That's, that's what he expects to do. But I want people to think about this for a brief second. Think about the charge that is levied against Trump, and for fairness, because we want to be fair in political beatdown, he denies the allegation. Ben, neither you nor I were there. Uh, You know, in fact, I just finished law school when this allegedly took place. But let's not discount what E. Jean Carroll and the multitude of witnesses that she's brought in, you know, um, and testified that she had told them around that time and uh, that they have certain information, others who claim that he did similar things. How could any woman 
could any man vote for a guy who does an act like this? One of the most heinous things that you could do to another human being to impose yourself physically and sexually onto another person against their will. One of the most heinous things that you could possibly do. How could anybody support somebody who would do something like this? Forget about the fact that we're supporting him or that they want him, that he wants their support for the presidency. I don't understand where Americans are. I don't understand how a single woman, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, how could you possibly support a man who's being charged, not by one person, but by more than two dozen, more than two dozen women making these statements about his behavior? I don't understand. I just don't understand it. And I'm trying to every day. I'm trying to understand why people are willing to ignore what is right in front of our face. 44. Don't have an answer. And so he doesn't show up at trial. He doesn't have to. It's a civil case. Of Michael Cohen's statement. Someone who has dozens of rape and to clip function as I have asked you a million times, please. doesn't right. show up, makes an excuse that he has something to do in Scotland and Ireland, which he didn't. Shovel he shit. just makes that up to shovel ship. And this is him in Ireland earlier in the day. Um, so technically, I think yesterday, where he said he would be flying back um, because he wanted, or was thinking about flying back because of the trial going on. That's why he's going to leave Ireland, which again, total BS. But here, watch what he said. Of that I have to leave Ireland and I have to leave Scotland where I have great properties. I have to leave early. I don't have to, but I choose to. Will you attend the trial, Mr. President? I'll probably you, attend. And I think it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace that it's allowed to happen with false accusation against a rich guy, or in my case, against a famous, rich, and political person that's leading the polls by 40 points. Oh, poor baby. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to Poor Trumpy. And it shouldn't be allowed to happen in our country. You can, you can. Cohen. Cohen. This 
really nothing. There's nothing to say. He's full of shit. Uh-huh. Um, and if he comes back, I highly doubt that he's going to attend. You know the hearing. Um, you know, it doesn't make sense not. at this point for him to do it. His absence has already been noted. Personally, I hope that he does. Uh, I would like to see him make a complete asshole out of himself and do what tacky penis did over there and to attack <laughs> E. Jean Carroll the way that he did. <laughs> Talk about stupid, right? I mean, he's probably the wrong guy to have representing you, right? When you're talking about sexual assault, a rape civil case. I, I don't know why they chose him and the the behavior that Takapina demonstrated was not being that it's noted by me and that, oh, Michael, you always just want to say, you know, mean things about Donald and his people. It's not true. I'm not the one that's saying it. I'm just repeating at this point what the press has already stated, which is that it was a vile display. It's a vile display against a woman who is making some pretty significant allegations. Now, he has the right to defend the case. Don't get me wrong. But there is a way to do it where you're not harassing and trying to intimidate. Well, Takapin is not a small guy. It's so eerily similar to when Hillary Clinton was at the podium and Donald, during the debates, moseyed behind her and started doing the old, you know, waddle behind her and you know, there's so many reports now about how he behaves, and they're all consistent with one another. They're not identical, but they are consistent. And that's what the jury is going to be looking for. And Takapina's assault on E. Jean Carroll is absolutely, first of all, it's disgusting, it's disgraceful, and it's actually stupid lawyering. You know, and Donald Trump's too cowardly to show up in court. He's not going to show up. And the language that he uses, too, I have to leave to confront her, which he's just not going to do, because I think he knows that with the disinformation echo chambers out there, that'll be played on Newsmax or OAN or something. And they'll be like, oh, maybe he did show up or something. He's a tough guy. And and I have to leave here. It's like, no. You went somewhere you didn't have to go because you were supposed to be in trial. And now you're saying you're going to go somewhere that you're not that you're not going to be going to. And by the way, we talked about this before here on Political Beatdown. This is why they hate courts, because it's still a place where evidence and facts matter. Facts supported by evidence. What they prefer to do is go on their right wing echo chambers and just make up stuff and just have no evidence, and just spread these defamatory lies. Look, Cohen, this is a montage of Republicans accusing Biden, this all happened in the past 24 hours, of serious crimes, but then admitting that they know nothing about this at all, and they have no evidence to support anything that they're saying. Here, watch this montage. We're wondering exactly what this is all about. According to a, a press release that was sent out by James Comer's office, it says the information provided by a whistleblower raises concerns that then-Vice President Biden allegedly engaged in a bribery scheme. Does this have to do with Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings in Ukraine or China, or is it something else? Well, I, I guess basically uh, we, we've got to wait to uh, see what, what the document 
exactly says. It's a very serious allegation against the then vice president. Uh, it is a very serious allegation. Uh, I wish I could say that I knew it was true or untrue. But this is, a, this is something new. Do you have any information on that? I do not. I don't have any information on what the whistleblower has alleged in terms of the specific substantive allegations. Uh, it says specifically, the release today, that the vice president may have altered policy for money, a bribery scheme. He may have actually changed policy. Have you narrowed it down to what policies, or can you at least tell me, if you have, what area, if you can't say specifically? What do you know about it, sir? Uh, Congressman Fallon. Nothing. Well, Greg, that'll all come out, I think, and it'll come out very soon. The bottom line is, let's ask another question, very simple one. What business, what product or service did the Bidens ever provide? This seems more direct, at least in what's being said by Grassley and Comer. Well, this is, after all, if there's anything to it. In other words, we don't know very much. Um, and this is an early stage of this. Uh, it doesn't keep these politicians on the Hill from coming out and talking about it and for the White House to respond. But we need to be careful here because, you know, the air is full of charges, as it sometimes is, and we're entering the political season. So my advice is let's be careful here. Will <laughs> your colleagues make those underlying documents publicly available? We know the whistleblower will remain protected, but what about the allegations? Will the American people see them? Well, I, we'll have to see what's in them. You know, see whether they're credible allegations, whether or not they connect to other wrongdoing by the, by the Biden family. Um, and if they turn Biden out to not be crime family. Will your colleagues acknowledge that, you think? Only got a couple oh, seconds left. Th that'll be up to them. That'll it's be up to them? crime family. Right. You know, They're so just let trying me go out there and let me spew so, more bullshit, more lies, you know, without any the word of the day. Accountability. No accountability here. So all of a sudden, because some somebody calls up and says, hey, you know, um, Josh Holy. But by the way, I do have to say this. If you listen to all of their responses, the responses that they gave now is very different than the responses that they would have given, say, a year or so ago when they would turn around and they would adamantly declare that Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, that they have done something wrong. Now, at least they're couching their words. Not great, but they're still couching it. You know, well, you know, we have to wait and see. And when, you know, then, you know, we'll then, you know, then we'll present the information. First of all, I don't understand why. As a member of Congress, simply because somebody wants to stick a camera in your face, that means that you have to go there and you have to say something. You know, if you have nothing to say because you have no facts, you have no information, all you have is rumor and conjecture, my recommendation for you would be shut the fuck up. Go have lunch. Go do something. Go pass some legislation. Go figure out how to deal with the debt ceiling. But fuck the fuck off already. It's enough. You know, any time that you stick a camera in one of these assholes' faces, they're just so happy to be on. Hey, look at me. Look at me. I'm going to use this as another way to milk some more money out of my unsuspecting, moronic, maggot followers. It's so stupid already. I mean, we're, we're becoming the laughing stock of the world because of these group of, you know, ridiculous Republicans. And speaking of ridiculous Republicans, which y'all refuse to fucking lock up, one that you just discussed, like you know, you don't have to go there and say these ridiculous things. So Lindsey Graham was asked uh, to respond to the fact that Biden was sending troops to the borders, 
and to compare that to Donald Trump. Just watch sure. what Lindsey Graham said in response. How are you on the administration sending troops to the border? We heard from some reported. I think it's ridiculous theater. It will huh. not change the outcome. Did you feel the same about it being theater when um, Trump sent troops to the border in 2018? I feel that Donald Trump did the best job in my political lifetime. <laughs> when Donald Trump did something, it worked. Everything he did, as Ted suggested, worked. <laughs> as Ted suggested, Cancun Ted. That's another one that needs to get the fuck out of town. I mean, it's, you know, one guy lies, the other guy nods his head. All right, that's it. You know what? We Now we know that it's true because Lindsey Graham said it and it was acknowledged by Lion Ted. I mean, well, I'm not the one who made up the name, right? Wasn't it Donald? So Lindsey Graham, right? Loser Lindsey <laughs> makes up the statement and Lion Ted goes ahead and he corroborates <laughs> it. There you have it, folks. You know, why are we even discussing this anymore? It's clearly has to be, it has to be factual. Cohen, we've covered a lot today. I want to give you the final word. Kind of will end on a Cohen note. Tie it all together for us. Yeah, there's no way to tie this. It's all about accountability. You know, again, I intend. Oh, DOJ. To hold Trump accountable, specifically uh, on the lawsuit that I have uh, coming up the trial in July. You know, it's his responsibility and he needs to make those payments. And now, as far as this lawsuit, this $500 million lawsuit, I want to again thank each and every one of you who have, you know, um, helped and, you know, helped and donated at the GoFundMe uh, for it. It's Be, this case is going to be a million dollars, but at the end of the day, we will hold Donald accountable, and that's the most that anybody can expect from this case. I could not have found two better lawyers in Edania Perry and Ben, um, you know, um, and and Ben. Uh, what I could not have found better, you know. Um, so, please, whatever you can do, it's appreciated. The most important thing. As I'm going to go right back to Joe. You have to vote blue. And we all have to continue 
to promote not just political beatdown, mea culpa, but Midas Touch as a network, including all of the various different programs, because what we tried to do is we tried to only speak factual. Now, does that mean we're going to get everything right 100% of the time? No. Um, you know, I had this conversation, as I said, with Danya and Ben Brodsky. You know, this is not, this is a real case. We need to hold. him accountable. They need to start understanding that there are repercussions for their actions. And together, and I mean it, only together will we be able to do it. I can't do this alone. I can't do it with just Ben and the Mycelis brothers. I can't do it with just political beatdown or mea culpa or, you know, with my books. I, I cannot. Yeah. Loan Depot. All of us together is what's needed. We need to be the brigade and we need to we need to embark upon Washington as a force, a force with millions and millions of, you know, of like-minded people vote these fuckers out and that's my thought of the day beat down brigade none of this is possible without you we are so so grateful for you make Everybody must call DOJ. Demands they are all charged. Reminder, none of these motherfuckers has the right to be in office. Said, I object to waiting until next year to get rid of these insurrectionists. Everybody must call DOJ, demand that GOP traitors are charged with January 6th insurrection, all fucking removed from office so we can have special election and replace them with non traitors. Easy breezy.
said shame on Shame on Democrats, especially Nancy Pelosi, should never have sworn them in the first place. Fucking fascists have taken over. Boot them. Boots. Give them the fucking boot. Right. sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel. If you are a YouTube watcher, please subscribe wherever audio podcasts are available. Search Political Beatdown. Check out Political Michael Cohen's new book, Revenge, Dear wherever Dear books Dear and audio books 
are sold in the description below on our YouTube Political channel. Uh, there is the uh, fund if you want to help support uh, the legal efforts of Michael Cohen. Check that out in the description on the YouTube site. Um, you can check out store.midastouch.com for the best pro-democracy yeah, yeah, gear, yeah. including the official Mea Culpa podcast, Mara Lardo. Here's Mea Culpa, a new one. Trump falls apart. Brian Tyler Cohen and Michael Cohen are to say Trump now. Okay, so Brian, I mean, there seems to be a whole host of reasons why, you know, fucker Carlson was fired from Fox in such an absolutely spectacular, you know, fashion, including <laughs> Abby Grossberg's lawsuit for which she apparently holds a lot of the receipts. What are you hearing from your sources and why, why in your opinion, was Carlson fired in such an ice cold way, especially... The guy was like their top-rated host. Yeah, he was their cash cow. You know that is that is like the question of the day here. And here's the only way that I can that I can kind of rationalize this in my mind because otherwise it really doesn't make sense to me. I think that Rupert Murdoch just figured that Tucker Carlson is just such a massive liability with no ability to basically moderate what he says moving somebody. forward or moderate what he does moving forward that he just figured based on some you know cost benefit analysis that that uh it would just be easier to fire Tucker Carlson now than deal with what he assumes will be the inevitable inevitable uh um legal issues moving forward and so that's the only way that I can justify this he knows that like you cannot change you cannot change Tucker Carlson and so based on what he knows about him, based on what he knows about him to his core, he knows there's going to be legal issues moving forward. He knows there's going to be these gender discrimination uh, lawsuits moving forward. It's not just going to be Abby Grossberg. It's going to be the next person. And so maybe he just figured, look, we because we know, because it's priced in here that we know that Tucker Carlson is going to get himself mired in more legal issues moving forward and it's going to cost me, Rupert Murdoch, more money moving forward. It's just easier to cut the guy loose now. And something else that I think is especially interesting about this, and I've, I've read a few, uh, a few different op-eds uh, in these last, uh, last 24 hours here, and that is this idea that uh, Tucker needs Fox more than Fox needs Tucker. And regardless, it's Fox's audience, and yes, of course Tucker has a big audience, but these are people that tune in to Fox. And, when, and we know, based on other people in the past, that when you deplatform someone, it's really hard for them to reach the same, uh, uh, the, the same scale of people that they've been able to reach before. And so I think Rupert Murdoch, at the end of the day, just knows that like Fox will be okay, relatively speaking, without Tucker. It's Tucker who needs the network, who needs those eyeballs, who needs the exposure to those millions of people. A hell of a lot more than Rupert Murdoch just needs this, uh, you know, this one random host at 9 p.m. Yeah, you know, it's a tough call. I I sort of sat with this concept of Rupert. You know, Rupert used to live in my building before he moved. Um, I would see him every morning downstairs at the gym at like 6 a.m. You know, incredibly chatty guy, nice guy. I mean, easy to speak to. Um, not what you would think in terms of a Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. But, I, but Michael, he, I is extremely, I he is extremely. He is extremely calculating. <laughs> yeah, that, well, he's extremely calculating. So there's definite your, you know, the theory that you're 
putting out there. However, I can't help but wonder whether or not it has to do, of course, with this historic settlement um, that Fox just had to pay out on the Dominion voting system lawsuit. Here's, here's why I'm not sure about that issue, and that's because this already happened. So at this point, it, it would seem so bizarre for Rupert Murdoch to not only have to pay that historic $787 million lawsuit, but then to also deprive himself of the network's cash cow. So it seems like he's kind of like, it, it just doesn't, it kind of defies logic in a sense that he would not only have to make this massive payment because of the settlement, but then also deprive himself of future earnings by virtue of having someone like Tucker Carlson, who is that network's biggest star. And so that's why I, I'm I'm just having trouble wrapping my mind around just this idea that Rupert Murdoch is doing this because because he wants to punish Tucker when in essence he is kind of punishing himself. I mean, it's already happened. The payments already had to be made because of what Tucker, among other hosts, have done. And so that that part seems a little bizarre to me. I don't, I don't know. And if he's not. Yeah. And Rupert's not done with the hosts, right? I heard you know Maria Bartiromo is on the chopping block. Uh, as well as I somebody else, uh, you know, as well that they're that they're looking at. But to your point, it already happened. Well, you know that there's as well an existing lawsuit by Abby Grossberg, who yeah. worked with Tucker Carlson, uh, you know, on the show, uh, and this lawsuit, of course, alleges all sorts of rampant sexism and anti-Semitism behavior that was going on um, by Tucker Carlson. Some also say that it's perhaps these profanity-laced remarks, some which were, you know, later, of course, redacted in the Discovery, the Dominion Discovery documents. You also have the issue of uh, Smartmatic. You have uh, comments that were privately made by Tucker Carlson. Whereby he was disparaging not just Rupert Murdoch, but other colleagues, including, by the way, Donald Trump himself, right? Um, I know that some of those disparaging comments were made about Lachlan Murdoch, you know, Rupert's uh, son. And I don't know. You know, I don't know. And I can't figure out exactly why you would do it, because on the same theory that... It's already happened, and these lawsuits are going to take place or are already in the process of taking place. Yeah, why get rid of your number one star? I mean, also, there there may be some degree, just to kind of play the other side of this argument here, there may be some degree of ego with all of this. I mean, this network is like steeped in this idea of just, you know, the, the same toxic masculinity that Tucker sold as a part of his show is probably is probably pervasive throughout the entirety of that network. And so when they did see, thanks to this uh, Dominion lawsuit, when they did see these text messages from Tucker Carlson disparaging Fox's leadership, it's not like Fox's leadership is going to, you know, just roll over here. I mean, these people have egos just like Tucker does, just like Hannity and all these other people do. Everybody's got egos here. That's what, that's what drives so much of these people. And so I think, you know, there just may be some degree of, uh, of it being a pissing contest and, and Rupert Murdoch saying like, look, this is at the end of the day, this is my territory and, uh, and you know, fuck you. And, and it might be just be as simple as that. Yeah. I see. Again, knowing Rupert as the businessman, 
and the astute businessman that he is. Let's be, yeah. you know, let's be real. The guy is uh, international, and it's almost like in the TV show Succession, right, yeah. where he's just a titan of this industry. Whether you agree with their positions or not, it really becomes irrelevant. But I think what Rupert probably did is he probably took out a piece of paper and a pen and scratched out the... So I think if these people who identify as Republicans, as Fox viewers through and through, just because someone made an overture, those people at CNN made overtures to them by like being a little bit more right wing, they're not going to defect from from something as, as strong as their identity to move over to CNN just because CNN, just because they saw some some pro-right uh, um, you know, overtures on CNN, they're just going to use that to their advantage. And they're going to say, thanks, CNN, you're still fake news, but thanks, we'll take the compliments. And that's going to be it. And so what's in effect going ha to happen is that they're going to get they're going to get the middle finger from these Fox viewers, despite their overtures, and they're going to get the middle finger from their left wing viewers who are going to say, what the fuck is this? We, we see what's happening. We see this blatant pandering to the right uh, at a time when democracy is in such yeah, peril. Fuck that. What, the, the business decision, business decision that you've decided to make was was to, to pander to the right wing, the same party who's now trying to justify an insurrection, the same party that's trying to suppress voters yeah. around the country, the same party that's stripping women of their bodily autonomy and that's that's uh, banning books and vilifying LGBT kids and just on and on. That's who you're that's who you're pandering to at this time in history right now. They're gonna say fuck you. And so CNN is gonna gonna alienate its viewers on on the left and they're not gonna have make any inroads from their viewers on the right. But but look I'm no uh, taking you know, over I'm no and you're not doing anything mogul. about it, stupid so, so, asshole so Americans. But, uh, but I think they're gonna see pretty soon that that this road that they've taken really really isn't gonna isn't going to come back and, and benefit them in any way. Yeah, you know, and it's not just Fox. It's not just CNN. It's all of these platforms American have these idiots. inherent problems with them where, you know, they're trying to grow and grow and grow past what they are and what they um, are expected to be. I mean, for example, you know, how many of these same people I'm on Twitter, right? And you're on Twitter also. We both have quite a significant number of followers. But then you start to look to see, over the course of the last, say, month or so, the number of followers that I've picked up is extraordinary. And mostly because the bulk of them are bots, right? And yes. this is a problem that I actually had an opportunity to speak um, with Elon Musk about. Uh, it was on Twitter, there was a forum, and I was one of the speakers, there were five of us, and I asked him, what are you going to do about the, the bots. influx of bots and these bot farms that are promoting this misinformation, disinformation, malinformation? They change the conversation and they attack in, with such animosity and such vulgarity and so on. And look, I, I'm, you know, I'm not one to mix words, you know, to mince words <laughs> either, but... Yeah. It's funny because anytime, like, um, for example, I was sued, as you know, uh, for $500 million by Donald Trump and uh, Adam Parkmenko from American Patriot put together a GoFundMe. It's doing very, very well. We're not where we need to be for this case, not even close. But the number of people, or I should say number of Twitter accounts that you're a fucking liar, 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 right? Um, you know, you raped in prison, you know, you're just a crybaby, and they all use the same thing. They all somehow seem to be veterans, 
They all somehow, and they all have like three, five, seven, eleven followers. Yeah. Um, they never have a photo of a person. It's always either a letter uh, or uh, Donald, you know, in one of his um, NFT poses. And it's all fake. But what they do is they swarm to all of your um, tweets Content. for the sole purpose of changing the conversation. And yet Elon Musk, who is able to do such incredible things, right, technologically, we can't figure out a way to get rid of all of these bots, to stop these bots sure from interfering Easy. with open discourse they don't conversation. Do it. I mean, that to me is a tragedy because this platform is widely used. And it's a real way that people get information. The problem, again, is when you start to deal, you know, uh, with and you're fighting, you can't fight these bot bombs. So you go ahead, you block them, you get rid of them. But it doesn't make a difference because they're doing it, Brian, to you. They're doing it to, you know, Joe Biden's uh, Twitter account. They're doing it to anyone that they're paid to go after. It's really a terrible mess. And it's, to me, the same thing. It's the same mistake that I think CNN is making by trying to move over to the right in order to pick it up. It's the same thing that I think Elon Musk is making by allowing these bot farms to exist. And the worst part is what he did now with these blue checks. Anybody that has, like yourself or myself, I won't pay for a blue check for verification. Why would I? When for $8, a guy who is uh, a bot you know, who has a bot farm, goes ahead and for $8, he can now verify a bot. It's it's stupid. It's worthless. Well, also, there's there's the point, uh, which is just a point of principle for me, is I'm not going to pay to create content for your platform when that is the value in the platform. I mean, I'm on, I'm on every platform. I'm on YouTube and Facebook and Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, and, uh, and of course, Twitter. But no one forces me as a content creator to pay for the privilege of then making content which imbues that platform with its value. It just it, it's completely antithetical to the whole point. And so yes, it's sure it's only eight dollars. And not people keep trying to make this claim that like oh it's just a cup of coffee. It doesn't matter if it was five cents. I'm not going to pay to create content for your platform when the point of the platform is that it's valuable because of the content that's on it. So. There's that, first of all. The second of all, the second point is like, yeah, of course, the whole the whole point of verification is turned on its head because all verification stands for now is that you've paid. And there is no I mean, we call it verification. It's not verifying anything other than the fact that you have paid money. But it doesn't verify your identity. There's no there's no more value left in it. It's just basically it's just basically a sign that says, I've paid to hold this sign. So so there's that. But but to your larger point about uh, about the replies. I think what's especially interesting now, or what's especially sad and pathetic now, is that the replies from those people who have paid, who are overwhelmingly, you know, right-wingers, uh, uh, Elon fans, whatever they are, they, they generally fall in the same category. The demographics are super similar. Their, their replies are now prioritized. And so, whereas you had people mm -hmm. who previously were able to have their their replies prioritized or their tweets prioritized based on the fact that they were good at what they did, which was good at tweeting, good at creating that content. Now you just have people who basically paid to make sure that their tweets are prioritized just by virtue of 
of nothing more than I guess their 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 demographics, which are you know they're they're mostly male, they're mostly Elon fans, they're mostly right wingers, and sure, there's a ton of misogyny and homophobia and anti-Semitism, all all kind of um, that pervades this this demographic, and so so that's what you're seeing right now. So I, I would just I would just caution to people that are looking at this stuff on on Twitter, especially right now. This isn't you know. These people have an outsized voice, and this is a recurring theme on the right, by the way, this, this, this notion of an outsized voice, of this minority of, of overwhelmingly white, male, young, uh, homophobic, misogynistic, xenophobic, anti-Semitic people who have an outsized voice in our political process. But this isn't, you know, this is not by any means the majority of people. These people represent just, just you know, the, the Elon faction of Twitter, but this isn't, this isn't actually the majority. These people aren't don't represent some majoritarian faction uh, 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 of opinion. The, these are just some Elon fans. So I would caution for anybody looking at the replies of tweets, you'll see all these blue checks who are just, you know, uh, giving exactly the responses you would expect from Elon fans, but that doesn't represent the majority of people on that platform. You know, well, it's a big problem because the conversation gets changed very quickly, you know, by these bots and by these right wingers and and they as you said they get priority which i don't know another platform then to to run to uh so that well you can well, actually have a conversation i don't mind if you and i brian disagree i actually encourage disagreement because that way somebody learns well both parties learn the yeah. problem though is you don't learn by somebody turns out oh well you're a fucking convicted liar yeah Yes, but what you're doing is yeah. you're leaving off the second half of that statement, which is, I did it at the direction of, in coordination with, and for the benefit yeah, of your Fuhrer. Yeah. So, yeah, while yeah. I did lie, and again, let's remember again what the lie was, the number of times that I spoke to Moscow, Donald about a failed real estate Russia project, collusion. something that Ty Cobb was included on that, you know, um, on the creation of that document, despite him, of course, being continuously on... The rest of that conclusion about why you lied. Uh, jail time for it for his collusion Or the
Uh, CNN, nobody turns around and says, you know, um, well, you weren't lying <laughs> when you said that Donald doesn't beat Melania, right, which I did in open, uh, openly in front of the House Oversight, or that there is no P-tape, uh, you know, of Donald in Russia having prostitutes urinate on the bed because Barack yeah. Obama, you know, there I'm telling the <laughs> truth, but everything else is lie, 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 and they just right. go on and on, and they ruin a conversation, <sighs> and that's the problem. They ruin, they they ruin the ability for the two parties to engage in discourse, peaceful and non-asshole type of discourse, whereby you can have a conversation. So nothing I write ever gets out there in the only response and the only responses I get are from the bots. and learn something you learn nothing from these bots I, I would i would say two things to that the first is that i think that we i think we overestimate our ability to actually have a conversation on twitter i i don't think that anybody's hearts and minds are being changed on twitter i think that twitter is there so that we can have a megaphone for our own ideas but i don't think anybody ever logged on look i really don't think anybody logs on twitter having thought one thing in the morning and then based on some based on some, you know, open dialogue, think something else in the evening. I, I, I truly don't. I think that everyone is in their own camps, and I think you can use Twitter as an, as an effective means of communication and messaging, and it can give you a really good uh, a sense of feedback in terms of what messaging is effective, and then you can use that more broadly on other platforms. But I really don't think that Twitter is... I, I think we overestimate the value <laughs> of Twitter because of its, its soft influence. I mean, all... Media figures are on there, all politicians are on there, and so it is important, and it's important to hear from people directly um, and immediately, but I, 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 don't, I, I do think that we're overestimating the value of being able to change hearts and minds on Twitter. To that point, I think there are obviously other, better, uh, other platforms that are better in terms of actually reaching and persuading other people. That's why I spend most of my time on YouTube these days. I mean, look, I was a Twitter addict through and through. You could not find someone who spent more of an unhealthy amount of their day on Twitter.com than me. And, uh, and in a way, this Elon takeover, because now I, I, I don't, I'm not able to see who's quote tweeted, I'm not able to really see who's replied. It's just like you said, it's everything is buried under an avalanche of, of, of bots and right-wingers and people calling you, you know, rumor and this and that. I mean, it's exactly the shit you would imagine. So it's pushed me away from the platform because I don't know how to engage with it anymore. It's not worth it. I'm not going to respond to these people, right. you know, who, who are just yelling groomer all day long. So I've spent more time on other platforms anyway. I spend more time on YouTube. And guess what?
demand breakup of corporate media monopoly for corporations own all of our media. January 6th, Insurrection. are all disqualified. So I said, <clears throat> as presidential candidates, twenty twenty four, I urge everybody to call DOJ two zero two five one four two thousand. Demand they break up the corporate media monopoly for corporations own all of our media. To do, and uh, two, two. Demands charge and remove at one um removal at once of GOP traders. From January <clears throat> so it says 
As presidential candidate 2024, I urge everybody to call DOJ 202. 514,000 demand they break up corporate media monopoly. Four corporations own all our media. Two, demand charge and removal at once of GOP traitors from January 6th insurrection. Disqualify Trump now. I think our Justice Department is to PAB to put these um, motherfucking traitors and terrorists in prison where they belong, but I would settle and still celebrate. When they are all disqualified, Christopher Price. I object to waiting for next year to get rid of all these fucking traitors because the Democrats should have done this over two years ago. But Nancy Pelosi tabled that motion as well. But effing Pelosi is always tabling impeachment in our response to these fucking insurrectionists. Fascists have taken over our country. Boot him. Ladies, all eyes on Trump rape trial, Women's March, NWPC, Christopher Perez. Feel free to follow me on Facebook and music by the Trista. I have 20 albums of original and covers music free on YouTube. Number eight, Tucson Alternative Charts. This is Joe Bellica. Uh, Rolling Stone, Pink Houses, I introduce myself and talk a little bit about my background, which will come in handy as your next prize. Like my trajectory was to become a diplomat until the 2000 selections. As you may or may not recall, Justices Roberts, Coney Barrett, and Kavanaugh, lawyers for the Republicans, to steal that election and take away our vote by giving it to George W. Bush, a wholly unqualified, stupid, drunken cokehead who was MIA from his cushy job with the Texas National Guards, the position he got from his father, the vice president, of course. Talk about fucking entitlement. Anyway, yes, that whole administration, the whole family were corrupt AF, going back to the Bay of Pigs, where Bush, Arbusco, means Bush in Spanish, Telemundo, owns $23 million in oil exploration rights in Cuba. Castro could have canceled that, so that that was a real reason we act we actually part of our government, the CIA, especially because of Poppy Bush, his opium trafficking name from his role in Afghanistan, commandeering poppy fields and engaging in in narcotics trafficking. Everybody should know George H. W. Bush involved in the in the JFK assassination. There's a photograph of him leaning against the wall of the Texas. Textbook repository the day JFK was shot, relaxing and chatting with his colleagues there. In fact, it said the picture was the real reason behind the Watergate break-in, because it put George H.W. Bush squarely within that conspiracy, which went all the way up to LBJ. By the way, I'm an American executive scholar, presidential scholar, founding member of the American Political Science Association at UC Berkeley where I won the Berkeley Alumni Scholar Award for my political science research on convoy to deliver humanitarian aid with a French organization called Equilibre in the former Yugoslavia when I was in my early 20s.
George H.W. Bush. <laughs> Y'all are still there. <laughs> anyway, shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona. Second biggest platform in the world. And that is a way that I can reach people. That is a way that I can change hearts and minds and persuade people and reach young people who maybe weren't involved in the political process before. But now, by virtue of watching one, two, five, ten, twenty of my videos, maybe you're saying, okay, look, uh, I wasn't, I, you know, I was ignorant to this stuff before, but now I get it. Now I want to go out and vote. Now I can get registered. That's more important for me anyway. So in a way, the Elon thing has been a blessing because uh, it has uh, allowed me to kind of shift my focus onto other platforms. And these other platforms, I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest, are a hell of a lot more effective in terms of what I'm trying to do in politics than Twitter is. Okay, good. So let me get back here for a quick second to Kamala Harris. As I said before, you know, a lot of people are afraid of her as the replacement for Joe Biden, God forbid. Now, Kamala has been much more you know, front and center lately, if you've, if you've seen that and you're watching television. I mean, she had a very successful uh, successful <gasps> trip to Africa. She went to Tennessee to support the Tennessee Three. And she also seems yeah, that to be was cool. leading the abortion rights movement. Do you think that Kamala is finally finding her footing as vice president? And this will help maybe to change some people's minds that, God forbid, something did happen uh, to the president, that she would be competent to take over? Look, of course, of course, she'd be competent to take. I think this idea that she's not going to be able to take over. I mean, these people are surrounded by brilliant people who are all experts in their fields. Of course, Kamala would be fine to take over. The fact is that. First of all, job of vice president is the most miserable job that you could possibly ask for, uh, and you get stuck with all the shit that the president doesn't want to deal with. But second of all, regardless of who it is, that person would get attacked in the same way that, that they try to attack Joe Biden. Here's the difference. Joe Biden is so difficult for these right-wingers to attack because what can you land on him? You know, they, 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 they uh, again, going back to the whole rumor thing, that's like, they, they try to, they try to pin him with that stuff. They try to pin him with the Hunter Biden stuff. All of it is so tenuous. All of it doesn't stick to the point where that is why, that is why Joe Biden is so, is so, um, such a difficult adversary for the right because they don't have anything in the same way that they had, uh, like the Hillary Clinton stuff on, on Joe Biden. And so, all they can do is kind of lean all of their attacks on Kamala Harris instead. And by the way, if it wasn't Kamala Harris, regardless of who it was, they would attack like crazy anyway, regardless of whether it was a legitimate attack or an illegitimate attack. It doesn't matter who it is. They will attack people who have a platform in the Democratic Party, whether it's Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton or AOC. It doesn't matter if you have a pulse and they view you as being powerful, they will attack you. So... This idea that, you know, from my perspective on the left, that Kamala Harris is some is some um, uh, dead weight on the on the Democratic ticket ignores the fact that regardless of who it was, these Republicans would attack because they recognize that that person has power. And so if it was if it was Stacey Abrams, they'd attack her. If it was AOC, they would attack her. If it was any other white male Democrat, they would attack him. It doesn't matter who it is. And I think so. So I try not to focus on these attacks because I think uh, uh, um, that kind of redounds to Republicans' benefit in terms of uh, seeding the narrative to them. And, and instead of just focusing, you know, uh, in terms of what I do, just focusing on what Democrats have been able to accomplish, which, you know, in the last two years has been a hell of a lot more than anything Republicans were able to accomplish in their, in their four years uh, in the White House. Yeah, and speaking about Republicans, I mean, let's just take as an example 
Florida Republicans, they're moving to pass a bill that will allow doctors and insurance companies to deny care to LGBTQ plus people, to minorities, and to women if they feel that their existence violates their moral beliefs. Yeah. I mean, they're calling it, I mean, this is crazy shit here. They're calling it conscience-based objections. You think that finally voters will wake the fuck up and realize that these sorts of bigoted laws are coming from the Republican Party? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I think that these people... When? When? Look, we saw in this past election... Uh, uh, Michael, we had an election in 2022 where Joe Biden's approval rating was completely underwater. We were dealing with sky-high inflation. Everything should point to the fact that Republicans should have had a massive red wave. This was a midterm election cycle where the party in power controlled every branch of government. Again, garbage approval rating, sky-high inflation, and yet Democrats were able to keep the Senate. Uh, they were able to stave off that, that red wave to just a handful of Republican uh, 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 lawmakers in the House. Like, that is a, a direct testament to the fact that people are recognizing how extreme the Republican Party is. This Dobbs decision was handed down, and uh, people recognize that it's the Republicans' fault. This extremism is on them. And so for the, for the GOP to see that, to see uh, those election results, it's not just in 2022, because the extremism was presenting itself in 2020 and to a small, so smaller degree in 2018, but Republicans lost all of those election cycles. So the fact that the, the GOP can see that, and instead of like changing course, decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to keep plowing forward. We're going to keep enacting 15-week abortion bans, then six-week abortion bans, which is what Ron DeSantis did in Florida. We're going to start attacking the LGBT community. We're going to complain about wokeness we're gonna ban books from schools we're gonna we're gonna claim that that you can that we're gonna implement bounty systems where you can uh, uh, try to have uh, women prosecuted for the crime of seeking reproductive health care so so look we've seen this in a few cycles already i absolutely think that people recognize that the extremism is there i think that uh this younger generation especially recognizes this stuff when it happens they know that these book bans are being perpetuated by the right they know that these abortion bans are being perpetuated by the right they know that these attacks on the lgbt community are being perpetuated by the right and this is a generation mind you that is overwhelmingly pro-lgbt um, so, so, you know, I, I think we saw it in 2022, you'd be blind to, to, to claim that we haven't already seen the effects of Republican extremism and, and the, and the, the hits that that party has taken because of it. And, uh, and because they continue to traffic in this stuff, um, and continue their lunge off the far right. Like I, 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 I promise you, man, I think it's, it's people are paying attention and it's only going to get worse for them. Okay. So Brian, look, you and I have spoken in the past. Um, about Democrats have an opportunity to right the ship in 2024. But our messaging, Democrats' messaging, just doesn't seem right to filter down to Republicans. Even, even the more, we'll call them moderate, you know, Republicans. They just, it just doesn't. And not even a lot of Democrats know how successful that the Biden administration has been. I mean, you just mentioned it, that for the last two years, more has been accomplished than Trump in his four, right? In fact, it would have been more than if Trump was in for eight. Yeah. So what do we need to do? I mean, seriously, what do we need to do to get through to voters 
And what message would you personally focus on? So there's a there's an Al Franken joke where he says, uh, you know, you have a bumper sticker and it has a list of democratic accomplishments, and he says, uh, for more accomplishments, see next bumper sticker. And so that's what that's what Democrats, you know, I think that that for a long time has been our issue. It's like, oh well, we, you know, and we we could fall into the trap of of, and I, and I do it sometimes of saying like, oh look, in the last two years we've passed the Chips Act, the PACT Act, the American Rescue Plan. We've done the the bipartisan gun package, the infrastructure bill. Um, but I, I think the important thing here, to your to your point, is to focus on the things that really impact people, and that is the issue of abortion, which Republicans, for some for some reason that defies logic, have continued to, to be extreme on. So just to focus on the issue of abortion, to focus on the issues of Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, and their their proclivity to to cut earned benefits. And even after that was such a major issue um, as we were gearing up for this debt ceiling fight, we have basically every single Republican on record for five minutes. They were like, oh, we want to we want to protect Social Security and, and, and Medicare. And even during the State of the Union, they stood up and they were like, when, when Joe Biden uh, called them mm-hmm. out for wanting to cut those programs, they were like, you're a liar. And he was like, well, then y'all agree with me. We're not going to cut it. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And they clapped and everything. And then we came right back out afterwards. And they're like, you know what we got to do? We got to tackle the issue of Social Security and Medicare. Once we tackle that issue, we'll really be able to get the debt under control. So they that lasted five minutes before they finally dropped all pretense, went right back, uh, you know, reverted right back to their to their usual talking point of trying to cut those earned benefits. But those are potent issues. And I think if we focus on the issue of abortion, the issue of protecting Social Security and Medicare, and, and then finally just this issue of extremism, protecting democracy. And I know that, you know, the big brains in the media love to pretend that that's not an issue that people care about because it's not a an economic issue. It's not a kitchen table issue. People care. And if you look at polling, or if you look at exit polling especially, that is one of the main issues that people care about. And you have a lot of these Reagan Republicans, a lot of these moderate Republicans who see what's happening, who see these bans, who see these this massive government overreach that reasonable people know defies the very fabric of what these Republicans claim to be, which is small government. Uh, and then they move right, right, right forward in terms of taking away your rights, in terms of being exactly the opposite of what they claim to be. I think a lot of people recognize that. And the fact is, we need a, we, we all need like the shared foundation of government to actually work to be able to get what we want. And once we once whether you're on the right or left, once we relinquish that, um, then it does. Then, then people have no more control anymore, anyway. And I think Republicans realize that. I think even regular Republicans realize that. So, so you know, I think you know, in terms of messaging, the issues of abortion are going to be extremely important, especially for young people. The issue of Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security are going to be important, especially for older folks, and then for everyone. Just this issue of extremism and protecting democracy. I think those are the three that we focus on, um, and uh, and I think that'll really benefit us moving forward in this election. But those are issues that. People People understand, they know about, they're not nebulous, it's not walking around trying to say, you know, vote for me because of Build Back Better. These are real issues that people that people ha- uh, 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 have an emotional connection to that impacts their lives. And I think that, uh, that, that you know, that's bared itself out in 2022 and it's going to continue to do so in 2024. Let's hope. But since you brought up the debt ceiling, I wanted to ask you this, because this debt ceiling showdown... It's, it's just about to get underway. And McCarthy still doesn't have the votes to get his package passed in the House. Now, predict, if you will, how do you think it's going to go? Do you think that the government will shut down again? Or, you know, do you think that Biden will prevail? 
I think I don't think the government will shut down. I think Kevin McCarthy would have to be a degree of stupid that I can't even wrap my head around to let the global economy collapse. Because <laughs> let's be clear, that is what will happen if we default on our debt, which. If, if memory serves correct, we've never done uh, for nope. Kevin McCarthy to allow the Marjorie Taylor Greens of that party to lead him on a leash and allow the global economy to crater, allow the U.S. dollar to crater, allow everyone's 4Ks to turn to shit, allow everyone's stock portfolios to turn to shit, allow everyone's businesses to, to, to plummet, all, which impacts all of those CEOs who support the Republican Party. He would have to be a degree of stupid that I cannot wrap my head around. So no, I don't think that Kevin McCarthy will allow this to happen. I think he'll blink. Um, I do think that Joe Biden will prevail in this. What Kevin McCarthy is doing right now is just wasting some fucking time because he's putting forward a, a budget that no one's going to accept. It basically wipes away all the Democratic priorities that were passed in the Inflation Reduction Act. It undoes the funding to the IRS, which is solely there to help catch ultra-wealthy tax cheats. Like, that's that's your mess. It's, it, these budgets are a statement of values. If your message to the voters is, our goal here is to make sure that wealthy tax cheats can continue to not pay taxes, which then fund all of these programs that help Americans, like, so be it, but people recognize that. So, no, I, I think that Kevin McCarthy's wasting time because he's trying to make sure that he doesn't get um, get his speakership revoked by the Marjorie Taylor Greens, but, but no, I think at the end of the day, uh, uh, this is just a fool's errand, and even Kevin McCarthy, for as dumb as that guy is, I don't think would would step in the on the landmine that would be allowing uh, the debt ceiling to, to not be lifted. Yeah, I'm just not sure whether or not he actually has the ability to stop it, because you're right, the fools like the Marjorie Taylor Greens and that entire rat pack of um, people who somehow we call members of Congress... Uh, I really do. I believe that, I hate to say it, I believe that they think that by fucking up this country will show Biden to be weak as a leader and hence why you need somebody like a Trump. That's just that's just what I believe and I agree with you. It would be a disaster for McCarthy, but I don't think, I think he's merely a puppet. I don't think he has any power. He has no control over either side. He's just a guy who's placating both sides to save his job and nothing more than that. Kevin McCarthy's priority is Kevin McCarthy and nothing else. And that's not the way that this country is going to, you know, continue to be the country that we are. Uh, it's, it's a nightmare. And... That's exactly what they want. They are the party of chaos. So look, Brian, the hour goes by quick. I have one last question for you. Sure. Russian disinformation appears, in my opinion, to be making a comeback. Or maybe even worse is that it never left. Sergei Lavrov is out there stumping for Putin. Matt Taibbi seems to be shilling for him, too. And then we... We've heard, and I don't know if it's true or not, but we've heard that Shilling Russian TV Putin. offered Tucker Carlson a job after he was fired from Fox. Yeah. In your opinion, will the Putin worship fade if Trump is not the nominee? And what's in it for Republicans other than the money? I can't figure this out. 
you know, what's in it is that they know that they can benefit from these efforts by republic by uh, uh, by the Putin faction of these of these Russians to to help them. That's why. I mean, it, it it's it's a transactional relationship, and so they know that that when these these disinformation campaigns happen and they emanate from Russia, these troll farms come out of Russia. It, it always redounds to Republicans' benefit, and so. So because, because these Russians are w- willing to help the GOP, the GOP is then willing to help the Russians. And so I think that that's why. Will the Putin worship fade? Probably. I think it's soft anyway. I don't think any voters are going to the polls with, with you know, pro-Putin stances being the number one thing on their mind. That's not a litmus test issue within the Republican Party. I think, to be honest, the reason that a lot of these that a lot of these Republicans are are pro-Putin is just because Democrats are anti-Putin. And and that's the way that politics is right now. I mean, you can you can be like anti-childhood cancer and then you would have people on the right holding up signs on the side of the road saying that they saying that they want, uh, you know, that they're pro-childhood cancer. It's just it's the the, the conflict for so many of these people is the point. Um, but again, I think that this is this is kind of a soft issue for Republicans. And uh, and once we are able to to allow our platforms to get this kind of stuff under control, I think Republicans will find very little use uh, for their pro-Putin rhetoric moving forward. But with that said, there's also the fact that you know a lot of these people are pro-authoritarian. Uh, Donald, Donald Trump has never has never um, praised most of these Western leaders, these democratically elected Western leaders, but he comes out and overtly praises. And Erdogan and Putin and uh, and Kim Jong Un, like and Mohammed bin Salman, bin right. Salman, yeah. This is this is like uh, um, you know, kind of shows the the proclivity of these Republicans to embrace these quote unquote strongmen, these authoritarians. That should be a giant warning signal to anybody who claims to be like a constitutionalist, a lo- like th- some some lover of law and order. But but uh, you know the the hypocrisy never stopped them before, so it doesn't look like it's going to stop them now. No, it doesn't. But Brian, let me thank you for joining. You know, one of the things that you do you do. So well is the messaging, uh, whether it's YouTube or even, you know, even on that platform that we're having a hard time with, uh, Twitter and so on. So, you know, keep it up because somewhere along the line, whether it's Maya Culpa, I have another, um, I have another podcast called Political Beatdown where, you know, we're, we're doing numbers better than CNN and MSNBC, which I think is, or, or Fox, so, well, not Fox, I mean, their numbers are actually uh, still higher, but we're doing incredible numbers, and why? Because there's no bullshit, there's no spin onto it, right? We're not making the stuff up, it's not opinion, it's factual. Here's what the New York Times, now you may not like the New York Times, you may not like the Wall Street Journal, you may not like the Post, you may like only, you know, um, Fox, Fox's digital reporting, right? The point is, that's your prerogative to disagree with what legitimate journalists are saying. It's not your prerogative to turn around and to say, well, it's not true because it's not coming from, for example, Fox Digital. And that's the point that, you know, I think, and it's the point that I really truly believe that your programs, that you know, my political beatdown with Ben Micellis and my uh, Midas Touch um, on their network, that these are the things that people will ultimately come to in order to sort of find a space where legitimate dialogue can be had and legitimate discourse in beliefs can be had. We're not finding it on 
mainstream networks anymore. And it's really sad and it's pathetic. And I thank you for everything that you're doing. And as more of this bullshit continues to come around, obviously, Brian, love to have you back. Well, I'll be happy to come back. Michael, thanks for, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Speak to you soon, my friend. This is Fertilizer from the bottom of the cage. It's my passion fruits. Break it on down now. Break it on down. With them, these text messages from Tucker Carlson disparaging Fox's leadership. It's not like Fox's leadership is gonna, you know, just roll over here. I mean, these people have egos just like Tucker does, just like mm-hmm. Andy and all these other people do. Everybody's got egos here. That, that's what. That's what drives so much of these people and so i think you know they're just me there just may be some degree of uh, of it being a pissing contest and and rupert murdoch saying like look this is at the end of the day this is my territory and uh and you know fuck you and and it might be, just be as simple as that yeah actually I, again knowing rupert as the businessman and the astute businessman that he is let's be yeah. you know let's be real the guy is uh international and it's almost like in the TV show Succession, right, yeah. where he's just a titan of this industry. Whether you agree with their positions or not, he really becomes irrelevant. But I think what Rupert probably did is he probably took out a piece of paper and a pen and scratched out the pros versus the cons. Walker Carlson is a legal fucking liability that, if not 
if you don't cut the legs off today, will go on ad infinitum and how many more billions can Fox afford to pay? They can afford to pay this. I don't know if they'll be able to afford to pay Smartmatic and the other five cases that are existing, including, you know, Abby uh, Grossman's, uh, you know, lawsuit uh, against uh, Tucker and, and so on. So who knows? Maybe it had to do with saying, if we get rid of him today, at least we know better than likely that there's not going to be more shit coming down the pipe because, as everybody says, Tucker Carlson is absolutely uncontrollable. Yeah, yeah and, and I think, I, I think uh, <laughs> there may be some degree, too, of like, this has been so imbued in Fox's business model for so long, from the Roger Ailes of the world to, to Bill O'Reilly to Tucker Carlson. I mean, there has to be a point at which... At which making these unnecessary or, or unforced errors, these payouts because of these constant sexual harassment suits and just just these things that should not happen at, a, at any semblance of a legitimate news organization, and yet they're happening anyway at Fox, and they're happening with such frequency to the point where now uh, I believe uh, if if what I've read was correct, that Fox's uh, that Fox's profits last year were 1.2 billion. In one fell swoop, the Dominion lawsuit wipes out more than half of that. Like you said, you've got the Smartmatic lawsuit, which is for, you know, uh, uh, 33% more than, than the Dominion lawsuit. You've got those shareholder lawsuits because Fox breached this fiduciary duty to its own shareholders by virtue of allowing this bullshit to stand on their network. You've got the Abby Grossberg lawsuit. Um, so there might just be a point at which uh, at which the, the legal liabilities... Of, of this company are just so just so far outweigh the actual practice of what this company is supposed to do, which is just to be a news organization or some semblance of a news organization. I mean, you and I can, I think we're, you know, there's there's no doubt about the legitimacy of the news that they put forward, but this is not an organization that is just there to make money and then pay out immediately because of, because of defamation lawsuits and sexual harassment lawsuits. It, it, it kind of defies all logic. So yeah. I think there just is some degree of like, of like, we need some financial viability moving forward, and we're not going to be able to do it if, if all we're doing right now is covering for the very people who are supposed to make us money, and yet instead of that, they're just costing us money. Yeah, in those days of the, you know, of 100 years ago, 50, 20 years ago, where, you know, the casting couch or that the anchor can do or say, like in the movie Anchorman, right, yeah. which is a great depiction. Those days also they were smoking on set. Those days are all over. This workforce harassment is a real issue, and it's been proven time and time again. I mean, this defamation, we're terrible in this country when it comes to defamation lawsuits. However, I think that what this case is showing is that the courts now take it serious, and I think a lot of it has to do kind of more with your generation and, you know, and even the Gen Zers, you know, the younger generation than yourself. Um, it's just not acceptable anymore. And I think the courts are proving that. Let me ask you this, though. Then we'll get off of fucker Carlson for, you know, for the rest of this show. Um, <laughs> what do you think happens to him? Where do you think he goes? What do you think he does? That's a great question. It can go a few different ways. I mean, I'm sure you have the other networks, the Newsmaxes and the OANs vying for him. 
Uh, I don't know that Tucker Carlson is going to, you know, uh, stoop beneath himself to go to one of these, uh, I guess, what we would consider a fringe network. I don't know that Newsmax really has the allure uh, for someone like Tucker Carlson, who was leading, you know, the, uh, the 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 biggest show on the biggest conservative network on TV. I think, to be honest, I mean, and I mean, of course, he can go the Alex Jones route, which is to do his own iteration of Infowars. I think that's going to be a heavy lift too, because, you know, as we know. It's, it's, it's hard to bring people to a new outlet. And I think a lot of the benefit that Tucker, uh, that Tucker, that Tucker was able to, to, to benefit from is the fact that, you know, this was, this was a, a, a whole organization and you have people who were fans of all the other hosts. You have people who were fans of the Brett Bears and the Sean Hannity's and the Laura Ingram's and the Five. So all of that filtered into his show. It wasn't just people who were watching Tucker mm-hmm. Carlson. It's a lot of the fact that, you know, this channel was just on in every nursing home, in every doctor's waiting room office, and in every in, in the plenty of plenty of people's houses across the country. And so that helped him to a degree too. So it's not like people it's not like all of his audience was seeking Tucker Carlson out specifically. I think what may be more likely what may be possible, I don't know if it's more likely, but like there is a possibility that Tucker could maybe try to start his own network. I mean, there is clearly an appetite for these fringe far-right figures, and, uh, and I, I think that Tucker alone, in the audience that does just want to watch him specifically, aside from all those people who just watched Fox because Fox was on, I think that he does have a play to make here to maybe you know start his own network, and there's plenty of people who would be... Who would be um, you know, sympathetic to his cause and could and could also uh, find themselves uh, yeah. find themselves on that network yeah, too. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see that, Brian. To be honest with you, I don't see him starting his own network. I don't think he has the uh, fortitude uh, to actually do it. And taking a look to see, even for example, remember, uh, I mean, when Trump started this whole Truth Social, this is a guy who had he was the former president of the United States yeah. with like a hundred million followers. Uh, on Twitter and social media, he's got nobody on this untruth social. It's not as easy as people think. That you just go there like an Alex Jones. Say what people want about Alex Jones. The guy was captivating. He managed to somehow do it. It's not as easy. It's why every show isn't like you know curb your enthusiasm, where it's just a hit no matter you know whether it's the first show or the first season or the last show or the last season. It doesn't matter. They're all they're all just great. Yeah, and and you may be completely right. I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to like throw out throw out ideas in terms of what he does. And look, if he ends up not being able to have the platform, if he kind of goes away in the same way that Bill O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly has some like website that I'm sure has you know uh, tens of people uh, visiting each day. But like, you know, uh, from from your lips to God's ears, right? In terms of Tucker not being able to reach the same sheer number of people that he's reaching. So I I hope that you're right. But yeah, I mean, there there are some options. It will be interesting. Somewhere deep in my core, as much as it pains me to say it, I don't think that he'll just disappear. Um, but at least I think what we can be sure of is that wherever he ends up, if he ends up somewhere, he won't be able to reach the same number of people that he reaches, uh, that he was able to reach on Fox. And I think that, uh, I think that that's a good thing. You know what I was thinking? I was actually, I was thinking last time talking to my wife and my daughter and my son about this when we were having dinner. And I said, I could see Donald asking Fucker Carlson to be the vice president. Yeah. To be his running God. mate into it. Um, he attracts, obviously, a big enough base. He's a loudmouth. Um, you know, he 
certainly has shown himself some respects to be no, loyal, stupid idea. right? Yeah. By throwing all those softballs to Donald. <laughs> well, loyal, uh, or, loyal maybe or, except, uh, except for his text messages where he basically explained how much he hates the guy, but but publicly loyal. Or if not the vice president, then to fill some sort of a communications director position in yeah. the campaign. But that, to me, would be a smart move by Donald, and it's something I can see Tucker getting himself involved with because it would still keep him on the national stage. Well, I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I think I think it would be such a massive miscalculation for someone who already has a problem reaching anybody outside of his base. Donald Trump's base, the the 30% of people who he relies on to, to, to derive all of his power, uh, that's not enough to win any semblance of a general election. I mean, he, he's right now very clearly just trying to win a primary, and that's fine. He has Ron DeSantis in his sights. That's his only priority. But there's going to come a point where if Donald Trump does win the primary uh, and he has to move forward with the general election, having someone like Tucker Carlson, who, by the way, their audiences, if this was a Venn diagram, it would just be a circle. Their audiences already overlap. That's, he, doesn't, he doesn't fill any void in Donald Trump's, uh, in, in, in Donald Trump's, in the people that Donald Trump needs to win this election. So having a guy who's trafficked openly in white supremacy with the great, the great replacement theory, in anti-Semitism, in xenophobia, in, uh, in misogyny, I, I don't think that that's the person that Donald Trump needs to be able to finally, you know, eke out those few more percentage points that he would, that he would, uh, that he would require in terms of like, Brian, an actual election. But, but Brian, that is Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a racist, sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic. But he had, he had someone like Mike Pence. I understand that. I understand that. But hold, hold one second here, because it's Donald right now that's on trial for a civil case of E. Jean Carroll, which is a rape case. Um, it's the same. It's the same person. But I say, I say, bringing Tucker in because let me tell you what's going on in Donald's head. Donald knows, based upon being a twice impeached, now indicted, <laughs> on trial, right? He's got multiple litigations that are ensuing and coming down the pipe, including the theft of, you know, documentation that didn't belong to him, top secret documentation. He has the case popping up, uh, hopefully one of these days, the January 6th insurrection. You start seeing the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers now turning against Donald he realizes general election is nearly impossible for him to win, except for one thing. There's so many people out there that are afraid if Joe Biden wins, right, and it becomes the nominee, which he's likely to be automatically, yeah. he'll be 82 when this, when this starts. A lot of people are nervous about it. I hear it from not just Republicans, but I hear it from Democrats and people who supported Biden for the last 30, 40 years. They're like, he's old. Even his announcement lacked energy. Whereas you have this orange crusted Mandarin Mussolini out there fighting like a fucking 30 year old. Say what yeah. you want about the guy. He's in, I think he's fucking mentally insane. But yeah. he has the energy to fight. Joe Biden got up there on that announcement. It, everybody said to me, what he, he is an absolutely 
decent human being. He has empathy for people. He has empathy for situations. He has care and love in his heart, something that Donald does not. But he has no energy. And I think Donald feels as long as he can get the nomination that and you're sitting in that voting booth, you may be thinking twice about a guy who's going to be 80 